Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. In Matthew chapter 28, you know it well. In fact, we probably all could quote it by now, but I'm going to to begin in verse 16. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. That's That's the 12 minus Judas, who's already done himself in. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, now listen, they saw the, the bloody cross. They watched him entombed. They saw him resurrect. They touched him. They've worshiped with him. They've eaten with him. They have spent much time with him. If ever there was a group in the world who have, what in the world are these guys doubting? Well, not Jesus. They're doubting the command that they have been seeing formed over the last three years in Jesus. They recognize that Jesus is about to go away. In fact, he's been talking about his going away, and they know what is coming because in John chapter 15, he has already told them that they are going to be responsible for the gospel message getting out. And they feel it mounting. And so while they are free to worship Jesus, they are doubting what's about to happen in their life. And Jesus came and he said to them. Now that puts the context in why Jesus would promise these things to them at this time. Here's what Jesus said to alleviate their doubts. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's already told them that his spirit is coming. And he even said, it's good for you that my spirit is coming. And he's not just coming, he's coming in you. They know these things are coming. So what here Jesus is reminding them of, he is, he is reminding them of his promise of his authority. He is sharing his authority with them. Everywhere Jesus has gone and he has taught and he has preached, people are moved because of the authority that Jesus teaches in and preaches in. And now they are about to receive it. He also promises his power in them. He promises his ongoing presence in them. Now, if you remember, and I'll remind you of this in just a few moments when we get there, but Jesus told them in Mark chapter one, I will make you what? Fishers of men. And, but the important part for now is, I will what? Who is going to make them fishers of men? Jesus is going to make them. Here, he gives all of that responsibility away. And he says, you will make disciples. It's the same authority. It's actually the same mission with the same results and the same effectiveness. 
everything that Jesus has come to do, he is giving them to do. And it's easy for us to sit back and say, well, those were the 11. I keep saying this week after week. It's easy for us to relegate Matthew 28 to those who walked with him for three years. But the truth of the matter is, these men continually give that same mandate away to everyone that they share the gospel with. Well, so here is the reason the good news exists. And, and I'm care, I try to be careful with my words most of the time. But some of you already see pencils in your hand, and that's great. So I want you to write this down. And if you, can't, if you can't find a piece of paper to write it on, just ask your neighbor to turn and just write it on their forehead. And anytime you need to remember it, just call them up and say, come over, I need to remember what I wrote on your forehead. Here it is. You might not want to write this on their forehead. But write it down because it, it's, it's, it's the motivation. And, if, and there's, no, there's no better way to recognize this than going through difficulty. Jesus not only saves us from the hell that we're going to, he saves us from the hell that we're going through. And that's the message of the gospel. His hell is real. There is an eventual reality in a place called hell. And it's a place of torment. It's a place of utter destruction. It's a place that God is still sovereign over, but it's a place without his presence. And you can't experience that now because his presence is everywhere around us. I don't think the worst part of hell is the fire and the worms and the pitchforks and the darkness. Those are not just meant to scare kids. Those are realities that the scripture is very clear are present in hell. I think the worst part of hell is the absence of the presence of God himself. There is no hope there. There is no wait it out. There is no let me go after I pay my... Jesus has already paid the sin. If you reject Jesus, there is no payment for sin. It is, it is immediate and forever permanent cut off from any possibility of hope. So what God gives us is a two-through ministry. There is a reality that we try to show people a way around <laughs> to show them a, an alternative reality, which is heaven, which by the way, the best part are not streets of gold and pearly gates and air conditioning. The best part of heaven is the very presence of Jesus Christ, our living hope. And so we make a slot modification with the gospel and recognize that what God has given us is this two through ministry. God does not just save us. God is not just good to us. God does not just put favor on us. Everything that God does is through us. Everything that we've experienced in Jesus, we're supposed to give away. 
including the things we're learning, the things we're processing, the ways that we're growing, the goodness of God. We are commanded to give that away. And as we do that, as we recognize the blessings of Jesus Christ, our responsibility is to turn those out and to look for opportunities to invest those blessings in the world that God sends us to. That's exactly what he says. Everything that you have heard from me, everything that your ears has received, now your mouth speaks. Everything that your eyes have seen, now your hands and your hearts do. Everything. We're just channels. And it's easy to sing songs about being channels of blessing and yet setting up like concrete in our church pews. telling you, I, I am more and more convinced that the reason that there's so much frustration today is because so many of the things that we've grown comfortable with in our faith has been shaken. But I'm telling you, if you read the New Testament, it is pretty easy to see. There's not one thing. If you're making disciples, there's not one restriction on us right now to make disciples. Not one. I want us to, to see that the command in Matthew chapter 28 is not go. The command is make disciples. If we spent all of our time planning for the going and not any time in making disciples, what was the point? We make this a fashionable missionary call verse but the truth of the matter is I don't find a missionary call in scripture I see people saying yes to Christianity and as they go they're making disciples and I know that when you hear it the first thing that we think is well not me I'm not qualified I don't know enough. I've not seen enough. I'm not articulate enough. What if somebody asks me a question I don't know? You know, I'm not, I'm not gifted in evangelism. I don't know if I love people enough. And I, 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 all, I mean, think of all the excuses. So if Jesus himself were standing right here and we were to worship him like we just did, if he stood here and said, go and make disciples, some of us would doubt. And so... Here's the result. He promises his presence. He promises his power. He promises his authority. And, he, and you're not the one responsible. He's the one doing the work through you. And one person just became 200 people. The Gospel of Mark is very chronological. In fact, it's probably the most chronological book uh, of, of the Gospels. Now, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first three are called synoptic because they tell the same story. There are different details to those stories, of course, because they're different perspectives and different focal points that the Holy Spirit wanted to draw out from different writers. The book of John is not a synoptic Gospel because it pretty much tells the story of the last week of Jesus' life, although it is the Gospel. 
Mark of the three synoptic gospels is the most chronological. So it's important to to read the life of Jesus chronologically because that's where you not only hear his teaching, but you also are able to see his intentionality as he is his methods of disciple making. Jesus isn't just a teacher. He is a master disciple maker. And he teaches them not only truths, he teaches them methods and forms. And so when you look at Mark chapter 1, in fact, I'm going to ask you if you would go ahead and turn there to Mark chapter 1. And also John chapter 1. In fact, once you find Mark chapter 1, turn to John chapter 1 and that's where we'll start. So when, you know, like for instance, the book of Matthew, it's easy to read the book of Matthew and think that this is some one great big story written chronologically. And while I think most of it is chronological, what Matthew does is he writes in file folders. Pardon my illustrations, just catch the big parts here. But he writes in file folders. So when Jesus starts teaching, you'll find all of the teachings of Jesus just back to back to back. When Jesus is healing, it's one, one healing, uh, miraculous healing right after the other. He puts, them in, he puts them in, when Jesus tells parables, they're just back to back to back because that's the way Matthew writes it. Jesus doesn't stand up in one day and give every parable they ever taught. But that's the way Matthew wrote it. Mark writes differently. Mark writes chronologically and uh, is, in, in fact, if you want to call Mark something different than the gospel of Mark, you can call it the gospel of Peter because Mark wasn't a, an apostle. Mark got his information from the apostle Peter. Now, in John chapter 1, you will see that John the Baptist already had multiple disciples One day, they're out in public, and Jesus walks by, and John declares, Behold the Lamb of God. And John's disciples look at each other, and then back to John, like, I mean, I don't know what they were thinking, but if I were there, I would be saying, What in the world are we following you for? And John says, What in the world are you following me for? And and so he sends his disciples on with Jesus. And so this first interaction, they intrude Jesus's, you know, privacy. And they say, hey, where are you staying? In other words, what can we come to expect from you? And Jesus says, come and see. The very next day, the same thing happens with a man named Philip, who, by the way, lives in the same neighborhood or the same uh, city as the two disciples yesterday. So they, no doubt, John bears that out because Philip was a friend of theirs. Philip immediately goes to his friend, Nathaniel, and says, we found him. We found who? We found the Messiah. Nah, I don't believe so. Well, come and see, right? So this first introduction invitation that Jesus gives is a come and see. Just, just, if you're interested, just, just come and see. Because here's the thing. Everybody is going through difficulty. Everybody's going through brokenness. Some people are aware of it and some people aren't. Some people are happy with their results and some people aren't. But every one of us is going through brokenness and heartache and healing. Every one of us is confused. Every one of us feels guilt and shame and fear and anxiety and depression and frustration and all of those things. Every one of us. And depending on where you are on your ability to admit it will determine how close you are to Jesus as the answer. So you know what? I'm not going to declare that Jesus is the answer. Here's what I'm going to declare. Just come and see. 
Just, just come and see. And if Jesus isn't the answer for you, then choose something else. But here's what I know. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And if I am so convinced of that, that I'm not threatened by saying, just come and see. Now, here's where it gets interesting. That's in John chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, in Mark's chronological view, he doesn't mention the first 18 months of Jesus' ministry. He catches up 18 months in. So it's easy for us to say that this invitation in Mark, also in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, we won't go into that just now, but this is 18 months. These men have already been following Jesus. Now, they're still fishing, they're still living, they're still doing what they do, but they're just watching Jesus. They are listening to his, him teach. They are learning from his truth. They are watching him heal. They are watching him care. They are watching him heal. They are watching everything that Jesus does. They're watching how Jesus darts his eye. They're watching which direction he moves in when there's trouble. They are following Jesus, they're in the same room. They've said yes to who he is. In fact, at a time, Jesus said, do you guys want to go away too? And Peter said, well, well, we go. who would we follow? You have the words of life. So they have learned that. They are following Jesus. That is very important because 18 months later, Jesus is walking on the beach and he sees them as they are going. And he says, now follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is a, this is a third call, a third invitation. Each one providing more and more intimacy into their life. One was, see what you think. They thought, hmm, never heard authority like this. Never seen anybody do this. Never watched anyone experience this. Never saw anyone love like this. Okay, we're, we're in. We are followers of Jesus Christ. You know what followers need to turn into? Fishers of men. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road. This is where Jesus begins to pour into them their ability to teach like he does, their ability to heal like he does, their ability to teach with authority because they've heard, they've watched, it's been modeled for them for so long. So I want to just stop for a moment and I want you to realize that when Jesus says to them at the very first, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, who's doing the work here? Okay, I forget that we're in a room and nobody wants to answer. I forget that sometimes. I'm gonna make it easy. I will make you. Who's doing the work? Every parent in the room knows what when a parent has to make their child do something, who's doing the real work? The parents, right? They're the ones who care the most. I will do the making. You just have to, you just have to obey. That's how you know that you love Jesus. That's how you know that you're truly following Jesus is when he allows, when you allow him to make you something. It's obedience. Everything at this level is about obedience. But also think about this. In uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, we, were, we are his craftsmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus 
for good works that God had planned beforehand that we should walk. This sounds so familiar. Follow me and I will, his authority, make you his craftsmanship, his masterpiece, same Greek word, fishers of men. This is what Paul is declaring to the church at Ephesus. (laughs) You need to follow Jesus and you need to let him make you fishers of men. Now, why fishers of men? Because they were fishermen. Why masterpiece to the Ephesians? Because they were the art center of the world. So you put your context over this wherever you want to, whatever it is of conveying, following Jesus, and helping other people follow Jesus, that's what Jesus is calling us to be and to do, is to give it away. To give it away. So, very quickly, I think I can do this very quickly. If, if you will listen fast, we'll get through this quickly. In Mark chapter 1, I want to take us on a couple of fishing trips. Okay? So, in the context, Mark chapter 1, Jesus said, Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And in verse 21 is where I want to pick up. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. And they went to Capernaum, and immediately, on the Sabbath... Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all of the surrounding region of Galilee. Well, remember the context. Jesus has just said, I'm going to show you How to be fishers of men. The first place Jesus goes is to the synagogue. Right? So what does Jesus, I wish that we could interact here a little bit, but I know that I know that we can't. So I'm gonna do the thinking and you do the agreeing or disagreeing, okay? What are the what are some of the things that Jesus wants his disciples to know? about fishing for men here. Well, number one, that the power of God has authority over demons. What in the world is more terrifying than that? So I need you to know, whenever you're going, you're going to encounter some things that you can't control. Here's what you need to know. You have power over them. Another one is the power of God. Now listen, Jesus spoke exactly the same way the scribes spoke. He read the same material that these scribes had been reading for centuries. But when Jesus read them, they had power and authority. Listen, let this, let this be true. Let us know that this is true. The Word of God has no authority except by the Spirit of God. So we need to recognize that. That, that we need the Spirit of God to be able to understand the Word of God in its power. Jesus was able to read the same thing. And boy, they could sense a difference. If you just want to use the scripture to beat people,
people up. If you just want to use the scripture so you can know more, it's empty without the spirit of God, without the authority of Jesus Christ. I also want you to recognize that they compared Jesus with the scribes. Now, it's interesting to me that the first place Jesus goes to try to show these men how to reach people was the people who thought they were already reached. He goes to the religious people first. So who is the good news for? Well, Jesus is teaching them. The good news is for the religious people and the good news is for the demonic. It's for the ones who think they're put together and the ones who know they're not. And they're in the same room sometimes. What was the result? His fame spread throughout the region, right? Well, I imagine so. It's interesting, too, that Jesus shows up on day one and recognizes demons in the crowd, and the scribes have been there week after week after week. And this guy, obviously, is pretty faithful in attendance. Mark chapter 1, verse 29. And immediately, now listen, I need, to, I need to prepare you a little bit for the gospel of Mark. Mark's always in a hurry. If you read the book of Mark all the way through, you'll be breathing hard at the end. Because Mark uses the word immediately 17 times. Everything's always in a hurry with Mark. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew, their brothers, this is Peter, with James and John. And now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. Well, she's, she's contagious. She's got a fever. She's sick. We need you to know. And Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. What is Jesus? This is still, we're, this is another fishing trip. What is Jesus wanting them to understand? Number one, the gospel is for men and the gospel is for women. The gospel is for strangers. The gospel is also for family. The gospel is for church and the gospel is for home. The gospel is for public and the gospel is for private. Also, God heals and God heals through his people. God even heals people that you didn't know could be healed. Mark chapter 1, verse 32 through 34. Now, you need to remember when we get to this passage, this is a, a different day, but uh, a different day from the first. But well, verse 32 says it's at evening at sundown. That's when they start their new day. But remember, this, all this day, the, his fame is being spread, Right? It's very important for us to remember that because in verse 32 says that evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. So let's go back to verse 32. How many of the sick did they bring to Jesus? What is it? All. How many of the demon possessed did they bring to Jesus? Okay, good. All right. So the whole city was together together at the door, and he healed how many? Now I'll read it. Verse 34. Many who were sick with various diseases and cast out. Many 
of the demons. Now, wait a minute. How many were brought to him? All. How many did he heal? Many. I don't care for math a whole lot. But I will tell you that all is more than many. I know that. What is Jesus trying to teach these men here? That some people won't be healed. Some people won't be helped. They think they've already, they, they're, they're happier with their life than they are with the gospel. Jesus himself didn't heal all. Does that mean Jesus couldn't heal all or Jesus didn't heal all? Well, I know that there were some towns that we go to that he couldn't perform any miracles because they didn't believe there. I also know that when he was going to the pool of Bethsaida, he looked at the lame man and said, why haven't you gone down there? Nobody will take me. He said, well, do you want to get well? Because some people don't. Some people want to know it up here, but they don't want to live it. They want to make excuses and they want to defend and they want to have all the answers except Jesus. It's exhausting. Can you imagine? I just, I just want to bring this up real quick. Can you imagine if, if me and you are at, we're both sick, dying, terminal, and Jesus is walking and says, you, not you, 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 not you. And you see these people who are wilted and dying and sunken in, and they become strong and start walking around, and you go home broken and sunken in here's the thing for me we may be different but I I would like to be the one that was healed but I know eventually I will die but that guy just healed so many people it doesn't really affect my faith much because now I know he is different from me I, I didn't experience the healing but I watched it yeah I'm a little I'm a little miffed that I wasn't one of them but that man is the son of God. Yeah, so Jesus is teaching them that when you go into all the nations, you're going to realize that if the gospel is what it takes, if obedience to the life of Christ is what it takes, some people just want to stay. All won't say yes, but, but listen, this is an important part for the disciple makers. Don't, don't you dare let the ones, there were still many who said yes. Don't you dare judge people as to who will say yes and who won't by keeping your mouth shut for all of them. I think, I think we, we fall into that so often. It's like, well, very few people are going to get saved anyway. Why would I even trouble? Oh, but there are many who will. And you don't get to determine who they are. Your responsibility is to be a witness. All right, let's go. Uh, verse 38 and 39. And he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that's why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now, what Jesus is teaching them here is that it's a verbal ministry. The goal is healing. Jesus isn't establishing a healing ministry. If that were the case, he would have done a completely different work here. Jesus doesn't say that. Preaching is why he came, not healing. Healing gives evidence of authority. 
Preaching is the authority. I'm not talking about what I'm doing right now. I'm talking about heralding the good news of the gospel through our lives and through our voices. That's preaching, is to herald the good news. You don't need a preacher to preach. We're all preachers. We're all missionaries. We're all just different levels of yes. Why do you think Jesus went to the synagogue so much? Well, if you look at Peter's message in Acts chapter 1 and 2, when, G, when Peter is de, de, de declaring Jesus, these people already believed in one God. They already knew the law. They already knew the prophets. Jesus, uh, Peter could begin to preach. And as he tied Jesus into all of those things, they were, just, they, they were just connecting dots. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Jesus is the answer to all of these things. And when Peter is still preaching, they say, you know, shut up already. We're ready. We're ready to go. And these 3,000 blitzed out of Jerusalem pretty quickly to save the world. So the dots were so close together already, they just couldn't see it because they were too close. Now, that's why I believe that Jesus went to the synagogue first. And you start, start talking to the scribes. You start talking to the Pharisees. You start ministering to people like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. And you start getting some of these guys on board. And all of a sudden, it's like, boop. Didn't take me very long to go from here to way over here. So let's go to the synagogues first, and we can really get critical mass quickly. You look at Paul's message. When Paul, what's Paul do first? Well, he was silly enough to believe that not only do I have to believe Jesus' truth, I need to make disciples the way Jesus made disciples. And so it didn't take Paul very long to figure out, you know where? I'm going to create critical mass at the synagogues. And many of the priests were coming to know the Lord. And establishing churches and missional movements throughout all of the region. You know, I'm just going to stop there for a moment. What I'm learning from Jesus in this, and I, I want to be careful about it because I don't want to be insensitive to it. But it's really easy for churches to fall in love with down and out ministries. And I, what I mean by that is, and you know, we can all take turns being down and out. That's, but, but when you think about what it costs a reputation to a person to help a homeless person, that's, I mean, you might feel better about yourself, but there's not, it's not much of an ask other than just financial. And if you, and, you, know, you want to feel better about yourself, it's a pretty cheap feel good. Or if you want to offer a meal to someone, or you want to offer some kind of addiction counseling to someone, they don't really cost much, honestly. They're not, they're not going to, they're thankful because they're down and out. Most of them have said long goodbye to dignity, independence, self-care. Jesus doesn't limit his ministry to the down and out. Jesus goes to the put together. He goes to the synagogues. He goes to the doctors, to the lawyers, to the IRS. Jesus goes to the political elite and declares. It's the same thing that Paul does. 
He doesn't limit his work with what benevolent ministry looks like, but verbally declaring truths to white collar as well as blue collar and the down and out. I think it's so important for us to realize because most of our ministries are based around those who don't have anything to offer us. You know, what is it really what does it really cost for us to say God bless you to a stranger? But what about a long conversation with a coworker about what we're learning about Jesus? Well, it's not allowed to talk about that at work. I just think I think we're believing some things that we're not empowered to believe. And it's limiting and paralyzing the authority of Christ in our lives. Last one, Mark chapter 1, verse 40 through 42. And a leper came to him, imploring him. And in the original language, him is autos. And so it's interesting. Six times in this little phrase, it says that. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling at him, said to him, if you will make me, you can make me clean. Now, in Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45 the law states that leprosy is an uncleanness. These men were not allowed, or women, were not allowed to go into the temple because they were unclean. So when this man is saying to Jesus, if you will, your fame has gone, I know what you can do. I'm still here un, you know, with leprosy. But if you will, you can Make me spiritually clean is what the implication truly is. You can negate the separation between me and the temple, if you will. Verse 41, Jesus moved with pity. He stretched out his hand and he touched him and said, to, now wait a minute, hold on just a second. Because Jesus is the same Jesus that the centurion came and said, can you heal my son? And Jesus said, when you get home, I've already healed him. But you just do that. Your word, Lord. Why in the world would Jesus? Because Jesus doesn't need to touch him. Jesus is teaching his disciples that the, those that are rejects, unclean, ceremonially, spiritually, and physically are not beyond our hands. He stretched out his hand and touched him. And he said to him, I will be clean. Now listen, this is important too in the original language. And immediately the leprosy left him. Do you know what they call that? What happens if you have leprosy and now you don't have leprosy immediately? What's it called? Healing. And he was made clean. He was healed and made clean. Jesus healed him physically. Jesus healed him spiritually. The gospel is for the spiritually sick, but also for the physically contagious. Now, every other fishing endeavor here, that Jesus went to them. Everywhere else, it was as he was going, but 
this man has heard and come to him. Sometimes you have to go. Sometimes they come. But as he was moved with compassion, he touches the most contagious man alive. What do you think the disciples thought about that interaction? So he sends them out. And now they're practicing healing, teaching, ministering, casting out demons. Jesus is there to support them. Now, while they are out, and Jesus sends them out by you know, two by two, and 72, and he sends them out, and they're teaching, and they're doing all the ministry, and Jesus isn't you know, staying close, and he's doing his own teaching, and he's doing more of his own, making more disciples. The woman at the well is a good illustration of that, and several others. You see Jesus doing what he does while they're now out doing what he does as well. They're doing preaching, teaching, interacting, ministry, learning what works and what doesn't. And when it doesn't work, they come back to him and say, hey, here's some things we struggled with. And Jesus says, well, here's how you problem solve that. They sent them out in twos and the 12 became 72. And by Pentecost, the 72 became thousands. And that by the time the disciples were all dead, they had become hundreds of thousands. And when that the first 400 years, they had become millions. The first seven deacons had come out of that group. Each of the 12 developed others to reach theirs and they reached theirs and on and on and on. So there are, there are, and you've heard me talk about it. I'm going, to, I'm going to shift into more application here now for a moment. But I want us to understand that what Jesus taught isn't the only important thing. Obviously, it's important. But what Jesus did is equal to that. That's where the authority happens in the word of Jesus is in the actions of Jesus. So we can sit in this room and believe all day long, but until we act on our faith, we're the only beneficiaries. So for those of us who think that we are so far ahead theologically and in the discipleship pride, I don't even know what that word is. I want to break this down quickly. Jesus gave four invitations. Come and see. Follow me. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Make disciples. Seekers, followers or believers, workers, disciple makers. I want you to recognize what happens in most churches, including ours, is that there is an on-ramp at some point, whether you're a child or experienced enough brokenness that you say yes to Jesus, but there is this moment when you are seeking and you come and see. I'll taste and see Jesus. You know, he is good, as the Old Testament says. I turn toward him and now I am believing in him. And now I'm talking about, boy, I'm free in Christ. I'm free. I'm, I'm relieved. I'm forgiven. You know, and, and we start focusing on ourselves. There are some who will say, it's as important as it is, we need to get busy. And so what does busy mean? Well, the preacher keeps telling me that somebody needs to teach a class. Somebody's got to man a door. Somebody's got to push a broom. Somebody's got to do something. Somebody's got to cut the grass. And so, you know what? I love Jesus. I love my church. I'll do it. 
And they get involved and they start teaching and sharing and talking and serving on Sundays and on Wednesdays and on work days and all of that sort of stuff. And this kind of becomes the, how often have we said 80, you know, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. It's true. It's probably not true. It's probably 10 and 90. But the 90 Look at the 10 and say, well, one day I'll have enough time. One day I'll have enough money. One day I'll have enough knowledge. One day, one day. So two looks at the workers and all of the believers say, well, what does it look like to be a champion Christian? Teaching a class, being on stage, playing an instrument, manning a door, something. Somebody sees some value in you. And all of a sudden we're looking at chair three as the goal. Here we are. And what is, what is this Fishers of men begin to focus on. Chair two, you should be doing what I do. You should be helping me. Why are you people not doing anything? You, yeah, yeah, yeah. So chair, this, this chair here is constantly looking at this chair here and this chair here is constantly focused on this chair here. And you start seeing this crazy cycle start happening in churches. This competition that starts happening in churches where the goal is this person used to attend church and now they serve. It's really easy though to go from here to here and get hurt and go right back over here. Never to go back here again. That's where a lot of people are. That is not Jesus' method. That's not his method for church growth. So while most churches are made up of Believers and workers, ain't nobody paying attention to the seekers because they ain't no disciple makers. See, what disciple makers do is disciple makers remind workers that the goal isn't teaching a class at church or opening a door for somebody, and we're grateful for those things, but that's not what it looks like. What it looks like is, is, is telling the workers that they need to be investing in the believers and the believers need to be reaching back to their friends. Because we had a limited amount of time here. So what does it look like for people like Jesus to minister to people who are far from Jesus? Well, I don't know, but we better figure that out. We better start offering a lot of opportunities most of our opportunities, most of our ministries are made up of believing people who are working. We gotta figure out how to get into the highways and to the hedges and that's not just the ditch. That's in the public arena. That's with the put together people too. Sometimes they're religious and sometimes they're not, but they're all broken. And we don't know who's gonna say yes to Jesus and who's not. That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to be an ambassador of the kingdom of God. And the goal is to be continually moving down the line of invitation. Because Jesus, listen to me, I don't know where we are as a group, but the important thing is for us to know where we are as individuals. What am I saying yes to? Am I just coming and still seeing or have I made a decision that I am going to obey Jesus? I'm going to listen to his teaching. I'm going to watch his ministry. I'm going to learn from him. And as I'm learning from him, part of learning from him is learning from my brothers and sisters. 
I need to be paying attention to the people who are just a little bit further down the road than I am. And those that are further down the road don't need to you know, flaunt that. You need to look back and mentor people, love people, share with people, bring people into your life. And then what we do is we're not just modeling, but we're showing. As soon as you start showing believers how to reach believers, you move over here to bearing fruit. And that's where multiplication takes place. An explosion takes place. And the River Valley is desperate for this church to get that. We can't sit here, and I'm telling you, most people, most Christians I know are sitting squarely in chair two. Because I believe that everything that Jesus did, he did for me. But when you do this, you realize that what Jesus did, he's doing through me. Let me, I'm going to just read a passage of scripture and then we'll go. This is John chapter 15. And I want you to listen because this is Jesus' final invitation to the men that he's poured his life into for three years who do not believe they're ready to hear this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, listen to that, bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may, what? Bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is the one that bears what? Much fruit. Now there we go. Look here. Your salvation is fruit. But when you move over here to worker and you start sharing that salvation with others, there is more fruit. But there's another step. And that's much fruit. That's multiplication fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Make sure that when you quote that, you quote that in context. Because when you want what Jesus wants, he'll give you that. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so Prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. Now listen, here it is. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known 
to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask in the, ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. As we close, I want to give you just a really quick tool that I believe will help. Uh, many of us, almost 40 days ago, started a, a journey, kind of a, a beginning process of what it looks like to move uh, more closely into the discipleship process. And so beginning tomorrow, we want to make that available to everyone in our church. So for those of you who've been following the Connect 20, and if you're new to our church, this is going to sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. I know it. But if you're interested in being a disciple that's making disciples, I'm going to be out there in the foyer, and I want to talk to you about that and kind of explain a little more detail. But on our, uh, on our uh, Connect 20 page, is it up there already? Okay, on our Connect 20 page, beginning tomorrow, for 40 days, we're going to have this as our Connect 20. It's 40 days into disciple making, and it's learning the method and the model of Jesus, going through the scriptures. There are two specific things that I want to draw your attention to. One of them is apart from me. The apart from me section, which is down near the bottom, is a, a prayer that that it kind of puts into perspective what we're really needing to ask Jesus for in that particular day. Just below the apart from me section is a walking like Jesus section. I'm begging you, don't read this without doing that. You don't need collaborative effort to walk through these 40 days, but it's going to help. And so there are, there are many that have already gone through much of this process. And, and what I want to do is to give us every tool that we have. And so we're going to call back on this quite a bit. Our community groups are going to be talking about this week to week. And so uh, I really, again, you don't have to be in a Bible study. and You don't have to be in a community group. You don't have to be in any of those things to benefit from this. So for the next 40 days up through the end of the year, we're going to be processing this as a church. I hope that you will let it marinate in your spirit and that we come out of this thing in the new year with, with, with an incredible confidence and an ability to start practicing our faith. There's a nucleus that already exists within us. My prayer is that in 40 days, our church becomes the nucleus for our city. And so I'm going to, as much as I can, if I were the Apostle Paul, I would beseech you. <laughs> but I'm begging you, let's do this together, okay? And as we go through it individually, at the first of the year, we'll start to create little, you know, discussion groups around these sorts of things too. I know that you'll find blessing and meaning in it. Make sure you're talking about it in your families. And uh, so tomorrow... Uh, go ahead and start looking for that to, to load in. I think, it, I think it's pretty easy. Our guys have done a splendid job of putting all that together. So make sure that you're, you're staying plugged in to the Bible study every week that's online and make sure that you're doing this Connect 20 every day. And I know that Jesus Christ is raising us up to bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit for his glory. And that fruit will remain because remember, we're broken. We know it. There's people out there are broken and don't. And Jesus does not only come 
to save us from the hell that we're going to. He comes to save us from the hell that we're going through every day. And we have the truth that changes lives. And it's inside of you. And the command is for it to come out of you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. And we pray your blessing over our time together today. And we ask that your name be lifted up. May you draw men unto yourself. May you empower us, Lord, with a confidence that Paul asks for church after church after church. The most confident man alive needs confidence. So, Lord, certainly we do. I pray that you would raise us up in boldness and you would give us a heart for the harvest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.